Welcome to Health Virtually Uncensored with Dr. Joe Kavidar, a podcast series brought to you by the American Telemedicine Association, the only organization completely focused on advancing telehealth. Join Dr. Kavidar in candid conversations with the leaders, disruptors, and innovators offering real-world perspectives and practical knowledge to impact change in our current healthcare environment. Today's guest is Charlotte Yeh, Chief Medical Officer of AARP Services, recognized as a relentless advocate for the older adult as they discuss hospital at home. This episode is made possible by AMC Health. Hello, I'm Joe Kavidar, and I'm host of the ATA podcast series, Health Virtually Uncensored. I'm looking forward to welcoming guests, experts, luminaries, and friends to talk about topics relating to the practical, real world, and critically needed digital transformation of health. The changes we've seen over the last year or two are immensely exciting, but there's still so much to do, and we're learning and evolving every day. My hope is that this podcast series and the uncensored conversations about our new healthcare realities will ultimately help move the industry forward and give you, our listeners, the information and inspiration you need to bring about change in your organization and advance telehealth adoption in real time. Now, just to cover some recent news, just last month, Congress passed a bipartisan omnibus bill extending Medicare provisions for telehealth for two more years. It's a tremendous vote of confidence for the value of virtual care, and I have to plug our own team at ATA and ATA Action for all of the effort they put forward in making that particular vote happen. They did a nice job. Now, these extensions include expanding the geographic site of care to wherever the patient is located, extending coverage and payment for audio-only services, and delaying in-person requirements for mental health services, providing telehealth. There's there's more to all of that, and I encourage you to read up on more of it. That's just a very quick synopsis. Uh, But I'm pleased to see the support that lawmakers have in expanding coverage for these services. Uh, It's been long known that telehealth is a bipartisan issue, and this uh, legislation really brings that home. Now, if you listen to our last podcast, my guest, Jane Saracen-Khan, and I talked about omnichannel care, the concept of patient touch points across the care spectrum in different settings and modalities. Fact is, people are receiving care in a variety of non-traditional settings, and I like to say at the edge of the network, that's a phrase that I adopted. But more than ever now, and that includes the home, of course. I spoke to Jane about the idea of the home as a hub for health and the importance of patient experience in that scenario. We talked briefly about a variety of topics, ranging from self-care to virtual visits, traditional home care to hospital at home, which takes the patient experience from the inpatient setting and brings it right into the patient's home. Now, if you haven't listened to this episode, I highly recommend that you do after you finish this one, of course. Better yet, please hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to access podcasts. That way, when our podcasts come out, they will be waiting for you and you don't have to think to go look for them. Right, back to Hospital at Home. Hospital at Home isn't really new. It started over 20 years ago when Johns Hopkins started the first program in the United States. 
However, in the past couple of years, with the threat of hospitals being understaffed and overflowing with patients, the advantages of having fewer people in congregate settings, and perhaps particularly with Medicare granting waivers to pay for acute care in the home, these programs are now flourishing. In fact, today, almost 120 health systems and over 250 hospitals in 37 states have been granted waivers for hospital at home programs. The new omnibus bill I just mentioned includes extending payment for these programs for another two years. So it sort of seems like a win-win situation, right? Hospitals can free up beds, patients can stay in the comfort of their homes in their own beds with their own food and lower infection rates, presumably lower rates of falls and other risks of inpatient stays. Studies suggest that outcomes are good and the costs are lower. We're gonna drill into that part uh, later with my guest today, because I'm a little suspect of that. But remote monitoring technologies are better. Patients' homes are seemingly wired. Again, we can perhaps talk about that because it's not 100% true. And patients appear to be more ready than ever for this brave new world. Well, again, that sounds great, but are we really ready for it? I've kind of wondered about this patient experience in particular and the role of family members and caregivers in this scenario. Uh, it's critical component, but one that's not really full addressed, fully addressed in the narrative as I've just described it. So that's why I couldn't think of a better guest to bring on today than my longtime friend, Dr. Charlotte Ye. Charlotte is the Chief Medical Officer of AARP Services. She has more than 30 years of healthcare experience as a practitioner, as a Chief of Emergency Medicine, then Medical Director for a Medicare Part B Claims Contractor, and then as Regional Administrator for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services in Boston, which is where we first met. She's also widely recognized for her commitment to the healthcare consumer. And Charlotte has been a caregiver to her parents, herself a patient who now has a zest for adventure and is passionate about health vitality and the vibrancy of those in the 50 plus age group. So Charlotte, welcome to the podcast. As Chief Medical Officers of an organization that advocates for the 50 and over population, and as someone who's relentlessly consumer-focused, I know you'll have some really important perspectives to bring to this concept of hospital at home. So thanks for joining me today and for spending some of your time with us and our listeners. Thank you so much, Joe. It's great to be here in this conversation um, and delighted to talk about, um, you know, hospital at home and what it means for the consumer. Great. Well, let's get to it then. Uh, First, I want to start, maybe telescope out for a minute, uh, because you're so tuned in to what's going on with, I hate the term older individuals, but there you have it, I let it slip. So tell me about uh, older, the older population. Again, I'm there, so I I have, it's like coughing to get it out. But tell me about the older population, their access to and comfort with technology. Um, So ARP actually just released a uh, 2023 tech trend survey um, just in the last few weeks. And uh, contrary to our common understanding that old folks don't know how to use technology, um, last year, over 70% of people 50 and older actually purchased uh, new technology. And by 2030, they're expected to spend $120 
billion dollars and more on technology. And how many of you knew that some 86% of 50 and older, including 70 some percent of 70 and older, actually own smartphones? And nearly 100%, 97% use them daily. In fact, even when you get to wearables, you know, almost one in three 50 and older have a wearable and three quarters of them use it on a daily basis. And I love this number. Um, on average, um, older adults own six different devices. Hmm. So to say we're not technology savvy um, is just not correct. Yeah, I mean, my my uh, barometer of this is when I'm in my practice nowadays, I do so much over our patient portal. I ask every patient if they're connected and and um, almost everyone is and there's there's no real drop off. Uh, and again, <laughs> the older, whatever older means, because I'm going to be 66 in a month. So anyway, I agree with you. It seems like the foundation is there then. We, we could probably agree on that. And and I've been encouraged by studies that suggest for hospital at home, that costs are lower with this care model. Although I have, I think we're going to get into this. I'm a little suspicious that maybe the counting is is off. Um, but they say that the hospital costs are, are lower for this type of care, especially once they're at scale. And I think it's kind of an incredible claim uh, when you think about the logistical, clinical, and technical resources required to make it happen. But maybe you could describe for our listeners what a hospital at home experience might be like for, for the patient and particularly for the caregivers that are involved. Uh, what do you think about that? So um, I will say on the one hand, I am excited about the opportunity of hospital at home. You know, being at home in your own familiar circumstance, learning to transition into your everyday living, I think is a real positive. But I totally agree with you. I'm not sure everyone is calculating all of the impact on the person, the patient, the caregivers, and the family. So when I think of that home experience, I know uh, we often think of tech and technology as a solution. But I got to tell you, I'm not so sure about that. And I worry that we're going to have increasing disparity, not because of technology, but let's just take the physical home. How many people who do hospital at home actually go and visit the home before you send someone there? Are you looking at the usual, the grab bars, the safety, the ramps, you know, stairs, et cetera? But have you actually looked at the doors? Are the doors wide enough to fit such things as walkers and rollators and hospital beds that you have to move in? Is there even room for all the equipment? Um, is there even space for a caregiver to stay or be helpful overnight if they need it? Um, and look at the bathroom. You know, when um, when I was injured and uh, I tried to take my first shower at home, that four-inch lip that you could step over to get into the shower, it took me an hour oh just to get my leg up, even with grab bars. So I think we need to think about, you know, that physical layout. In fact, did you know we talk about all the caregivers spending money on uh, medical care, et cetera? Do you know of the over $7,000 on average that a caregiver spends? 50% of it is for rent, you know, and mortgage. But the next biggest category is home renovations. 21% of caregiver out-of-pocket expenses is spent on renovations, and one in three homeowners are actually looking to renovate in order to stay in the home. So I don't think that that's a cost we necessarily uh, calculate in. 
And the second, and again, this is not technology, but think of all the supplies that you get when you're in the hospital. You get your DME supplies, you get your nutrition, you get your meals, all the dressings that you have to change, you get at home. And somebody picks up your prescriptions, brings it to you, you know, your groceries, et cetera. So we have recalculated um, the lost work productivity time, as well as the cost of all of this supply and equipment DME that is now necessary to be in the home. Yeah, those are really important insights. Just for, for listeners who, who aren't familiar with the lingo always, DME is durable medical equipment. It's things like walkers and you know breathing walkers, apparatus, things like that. Walkers, canes, catheter, catheter yes. replacements. Yeah, you know, and not stuff. everything is covered by insurance or by Medicare. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I, I don't, like like you, I I, I want to support this activity and, and I want to feel enthusiastic about it. And I want to see it succeed because, as I said in the intro, my general trend is to, to see care move towards the home and towards the edge of the network from being centralized. But with that caveat, I do worry that we're not taking full account of the cost, that there's some just cost shifting, that there's some free labor involved, that there's some, as you say, free brick and mortar costs that we're not taking into account. And that that's a bit of a dilemma to me. And the other disparity, Joe, that we might encounter is how many um, of us actually think about those who live alone and are what we call solo agers. We all think there's family and friends, but one in 10, according to ARP solo solo ager study uh, recently, one, one in 10 older adults Um, is a solo ager. They don't have friends, family, or children. And if you take into account those who are estranged from their children or family or friends or um, uh, don't trust or um, feel that their children or friends or family are capable, that rises to 23% or almost one in four. So if you don't have that support, is the hospital at home going to be saving money since you're going to have to be paying for that extra care? Yeah. And by the way, these solo agers are happy. They want to be, <laughs> they love their independence. They love nobody telling me what to do. Um, but their biggest fears, frankly, are dying alone and having somebody else make the decisions for them. So yeah. we should take that into account as we think about the impact of hospital at home. Yes, well, well stated. Now, my next question is, I think partially been answered, but 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 I'll throw it out and see and see if there's more that you want to add. It, it's about caregivers and and the notion that they've been asked to provide a lot of what nurses do in the hospital setting. And so there's there's two, I think, angles to that. One is the the sort of stress for a, a non-healthcare professional to do things that a healthcare professional does, activities of daily living, emotional support, not to mention social support. And again, not included in the cost calculation. So maybe again, you may have answered this, but you have additional thoughts. What are some of the considerations that hospitals need to be making as they think about the role of caregivers in this equation? So your average um, age of a caregiver is in their, um, you know, late 40s, early 50s, and on average caring for somebody who's 68 and older. So that means they're really part of the working population. And over half of caregivers, and there's some 50 plus million adult caregivers, over half have said that doing the caregiving impacts their work. They have to leave work early. 
They have uh, in 10% retire early and of the out-of-pocket expenses, on average, 25% of their savings or 26% is impacting their own personal um, income that they're spending on caregiving. As we shift to hospital at home, it's not just the cost of supplies that I mentioned, et cetera, but it's going to be that lost productivity at home. Yeah. The yeah. other thing to think about is as you look at hospital and home, are you also thinking of, you know, the sensory um, impairment that may be not only in the caregiver, but also in the patient themselves? You know, two thirds of people 70 and older have hearing impairment. So if you're expecting to do care at home, can they hear the doorbell ring? Can they answer the telephone when the caregiver calls, you know, professional medical caregiver comes by to make an appointment and wants to yeah. see them? How about the communication issues of not really un of not understanding the medications and when to take them because they can't hear well or communicate? Yeah. So think about the hearing test if you're going to offer hospital at home. So, so many insights. And as I knew, as I knew we would have, I, I'm going to broaden the perspective a little bit with this next question. We're, we're almost uh, uh, in, we're starting to come down the, the home stretch. So, and, and here's my question. Many telehealth stakeholders, including ATA membership, which is composed of a full range of innovative companies, healthcare systems, and solution providers, uh, I'll be, they'll be listening to this. Uh, and so it's it's your opportunity. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the opportunity to 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 sort of tell our audience what you would like to see in terms of new solutions or services to support the aging population in the home. Thanks for that question. Uh, <laughs> how long a list do I get to to spend? <laughs> but I would say there are probably three major categories that, as an innovator, you really should think about to make that technology and that hospital at home. Um, really work. The first is the user experience. Three quarters of, in a, again, in our um, most recent tech survey, three quarters of the 50 and older say the number one thing they wish on user experience is interoperability. Um, I can tell you when I was a patient at home, um, I had a you know heart rate monitor, I had a blood pressure monitor and a pulse ox, I had an activity tracker. I had a rehab tracker, you know, for the rehab activities. I literally had about six different devices and they were all on a different app, even though I had a single institution provider. So if we can make this interoperable, in fact, 68%, you know, nearly seven in 10 older adults say the user experience is what is keeping them from using uh, technology in the home. Hmm. Um, so it, it, think about simplicity. Now we talked about hearing, we talked about vision. I think most people think about captioning. They think about, you know, sensory accessibility or thinking somewhat about mobility, but how many are thinking of the cognitive load? Hmm. So did you know if in your design, you base it on recognition, you actually get better user experience because you're not relying on memory. Mm -hmm. So um, think about co-design. I can tell you that older adults love to be able to offer input and advice um, <laughs> back. So are you actually tapping into older adults for their journey, for their user experience and co-designing with them? These, I think, could make a, a huge difference. So that's that's the user, what I call the user experience. And then the second is think about that lived experience. 
Are you working on the daily workflow of life? You know how hard it is to get clinicians to use technology because it interrupts the workflow of their practice. How many of you think about the workflow of your life? The things I just described about supplies, you know, picking up prescriptions, groceries. What are you doing to make that easier? And the ones who can reduce that intensity of care burden, I think, are going to be the successful companies um, in the hospital at home and technology at home. And then thirdly, think about how you portray the older adult. I can tell you some 80 plus percent of older adults feel ageism, feel that they're not adequately valued or recognized. Seven in 10 marketing images, according to ARP's um, survey, seven in 10 marketing images are negative about if you're 50 and older compared to, or seven times more likely to be negative compared to younger younger adults. Um, we talked about technology. Do you know that only 2% of Im- 3% of images show an older adult using a computer versus 21% if you're under 50 years old? And in the media, um, as an older adult, you're more likely to be portrayed as a villain. Uh, 60% of older adults are villains in the movies rather than, you know, positive uh, role models. So is it any wonder that this perception of aging costs us 33% more? on a per member per month healthcare cost and some estimate as much as $63 billion. So think about how you're portraying, show them in the community, show them at work, because this is the aspiration that you want them to get the care at home so they can get back and be independent and thriving in the community. Well, there you have it, the, the listeners. That, that's your blueprint for success for this rapidly growing demographic. Charlotte, you're you're making aging a far more desirable, productive, and engaging activity, and, and it, it's healthier for all of us. We, we really appreciate all that you do for, for society, uh, and, and I know that you're incredibly busy, and I thank you so much for spending time with us today. I'm going to mention one URL for the AARP's work in this area. It's aarp.org forward slash tech. But I would also ask you, Charlotte, if there are other ways you want people to find you uh, on social media or any other ways that, because uh, they're going to want to learn more. You're just a fountain of, of information. That's great. Uh, people can certainly reach out to me on LinkedIn. And if I don't reply right away, because you're right, I do get inundated. Um, just uh, reach out again um, and happy to um, to work with anyone because you know what? It's not about aging in place. Isn't it about thriving in motion? Yes. Yes. I love that quote from you and I appreciate your, your offering it today. Well, that's my 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 dear uh, longtime friend Charlotte Gay Y E H. So, if you want to find her on on LinkedIn, uh, she's graciously agreed to to chat with you. And, and thanks again, uh, Charlotte. Thank you so much. It was delightful to talk to you, Joe. So, on a closing note, I wanted to share some thoughts about ATA twenty twenty three. I've been working on my keynote presentation for our annual conference, uh, which. Uh, is taking place March 4th through 6th, San Antonio, Texas. And as I prepare my remarks, I've been reflecting on the stops and starts telehealth has experienced over the years, the naysayers and the champions, and the extraordinary progress telehealth and virtual care have experienced over the past several years. 
as well as the significant challenges our industry has faced, ATA understands these challenges and the urgent need to change the way care is delivered. For these reasons, we have designed ATA 2023 to elevate the telehealth community by assembling industry experts to deliver actionable insights and provide resources that empower attendees to drive immediate impact. You can see the first 150 plus speakers at gotelehealth.org. There will be over 100 quality research presentations and our second innovators challenge. It's designed to cut through the hype and give attendees the tools they need to return to their organizations and make an immediate impact on the bottom line. These are serious times in healthcare and the ATA takes this role as the industry voice seriously to support, elevate and advance the role of telehealth for the people and organizations who are making it a reality. For you, our listeners, I'm pleased to offer you a $150 discount on your registration fee. You're going to type in ATA23JCK podcast when you register at gotelehealth.org. It's the only event focused on telehealth, and I hope to see you there. Thanks for listening to Health Virtually Uncensored with Dr. Joe Kavidar. To engage with others and learn more about topics like this, make plans to attend the ATA's 27th Annual Conference and Expo in San Antonio, March 4th through the 6th. Podcast listeners can type ATA23JCK podcast to get a $150 discount on the registration fee. Visit gotelehealth.org for more information and to register to attend.